Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, that you're God who, God who, um, uh, who speaks to us. And Lord, we pray now that we'd be people that listen and that we'd put your words into practice. Uh, we thank you for the example of Mary. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to grab your Bible open to, to um, Luke chapter 1 and have the outline open in front of you as well, that would be helpful, which is in your bulletin. Well, so Christmas is full of surprises. That's the first of these uh, four talks we're doing as we lead up into Christmas. I hope you're getting a little bit excited about Christmas. I think we better put a tree up next week. Let's put a tree up during the week, shall we? Let's do that. Go Jumping Joeys. They're very good at that. Excellent. So, trees, tree is coming and decorations are coming too. Why don't we do that? I think there are um, three, three types of people when it comes to inspecting presents under the Christmas tree leading up to Christmas. Three types of people. Tell me if I'm wrong. Here's the first. The first is what I'm going to call the cheater. All right? The cheater. This is the person that perhaps in the dead of night, comes down the stairs or down to the tree and rips a small little hole in the wrapping. Is that you? Are you a cheater? Uh, <laughs> rips a small little hole in the wrapping and then looks inside it just to see what present it is, what's hidden beneath. And they may even cover their tracks with some extra sticky tape and extra wrapping so that no one will know. Some cheaters go one step further or prior to wrapping and sneak into mum and dad's wardrobe and look behind the door where the presents might be kept um, <laughs> and they have a look so that's the that's the cheater um, then there's the investigator I, I like the investigator there's the sleuth the um the detective who draws together all the clues and quite possibly will start asking questions uh, sometime in May or even April um, about probing questions as to what, what might occur, what present might be under the tree for them on December 25. The investigator, once the gift is, is wrapped and placed, will also examine the weight of the object. They'll try to, to discount any wrapping trickery. For example, a necklace wrapped up in a refrigerator box. Um, that type of thing. They'll, they'll, they'll shake it, they'll, they'll smell it, they'll roll it around, they'll do what they can, they'll use all their, all their sensory devices, but they'll never break the wrapping because of the, that, of course, would be cheating, wouldn't it? And they're not that, they're the investigator. And finally, there's the Mr and Mrs Patience. Uh, she will sit in her chair and wait, simply staring, and sometimes in a disturbing way, simply staring and wondering knowing that the moment of revealing will come soon enough. At times she'll, show, she'll move off her chair and place herself on the floor next to the gift with her name on it. But she never touches and when the investigator walks in, well, she shakes her head at, in disapproval at this person who cannot control himself. I wonder which one you are of those three people. I myself, I actually quite like surprises at Christmas time. I love experiencing something that I didn't expect or even consider. This is a note to my family. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, you know, the other kids, they're off. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I guess um, when it comes to gifts at Christmas, uh, Christmas may well be full of surprises for people. 
Uh, I suppose it depends on which of the three you are. Well, for Mary, uh, this young girl from Nazareth uh, that we read about just a few moments ago from Luke chapter 1, what we now call Christmas, that time for her, well, that really was full of surprises. Here's the first one. The first one is when she's visited by this angel, Gabriel. So if you don't have your Bibles there, open up to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start with Luke with verse 28. And it's the first point in our outline, Mary's unexpected visitor, Mary's surprise. Greetings, the angel said to Mary, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Now, I've never been visited by an angel, uh, and I'm not sure that I could remain as cool, calm and collected and faithful as Mary. I think I'd be more like the shepherds, you know, the shepherds in the next chapter when they, the angels... Uh, well, the angels visit them, they freak out completely. They're terrified. They probably I'd run off going, ah, uh, that's more like me. Mary was, though, greatly troubled, it says in verse 29. And we'll see why in a moment. So the angel speaks again, reassuring Mary that she has found favour with God, so do not be afraid. Now, the word favour here is the same word. It's the, it's the word for grace, uh, charis in the Greek, if you like. Um, God was showing unmerited favour, that's what grace is, to Mary. By his grace, she would give birth to a son. Now, can you imagine Mary's surprise with all this going on? Can you imagine? That's pretty hard to imagine, isn't it? Now, we'll come back to Mary in a moment. But we should note something important here, that Mary was an object of grace. She was not a source of grace. It's a poor and it's a wrong translation to say that Mary was full of grace, as if she was the source of grace. No, she's the recipient. Uh, the word actually is in, a, in the tense is passive. That means something's being done to her or given to her. Grace has been given to her by God, and not to any. Uh, and it doesn't refer to any grace that she can give to others. You see, the way that Mary helps us. And in some ways I'm jumping to the end here, but I think that's okay. The way that Mary helps us is not by giving us grace, but by showing us that God can give us the same kind of grace that he gave to her. Okay, so not only will Mary, and remember Mary's a virgin, unmarried, not only will Mary give birth to a son, but it's the significance of this son that I think floors Mary totally surprises her, shocks her. So look at verse 30, and I've got it up on the screen if you want to have a look as well. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now Mary knew her Bible. She really did know her Bible. We'll see more of that in a minute when we look at Mary's song eventually. Uh, she knew that this baby that the angel described would be no ordinary baby because of the titles, that, the way that the, the angel described Jesus. She was given the name Jesus. Jesus means God saves. He will be great and son of the Most High. Now, when Gabriel visited Zechariah, that's John the Baptist's father in the, in the few paragraphs before in 115, John, John the Baptist, was described to, to Zechariah by Gabriel as 
great in the sight of the Lord. But Jesus' description is not great in the sight of the Lord, it's great. Now that's actually significant, and Mary knew this too, I think. It's significant because in the Old Testament, whenever the word great is used, it's always used in association with God. So the, the angel Gabriel is saying something very important. The angel Gabriel is saying, it is testifying to the nature, the divine nature of Jesus. Jesus is God. And he will reign on David's throne over the house of Jacob, that's Israel, God's people, forever. As Luke has already indicated, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, came from the house of David, which meant that Jesus was David's rightful heir. Now, long ago, David had prom- sorry, God had promised David, King David, that his son would have a kingdom that would never end. And so God promised to David this promise from 2 Samuel 7. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's significant, isn't it? Very very significant. These ancient promises were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the son of David, Israel's eternal king, our king. So here's here's the angel's announcement in summary. Mary would give birth to a son named Jesus, who would be great, the great saviour and son of God, the most powerful ruler in the history of the world. His throne will never end. His rule will never end. Now, why did the angel say these things? Why did he say those? Why why did Luke record them? It's a good question to ask, I think. Well, here's the answer. So that you would know for certain. Because that's the reason why Luke wrote this gospel. If you flick back a page to 1 verse 4, it's worth doing. Let's do it for a minute. Flick back a page. 1 verse 4 says, he writes this this letter. He writes to Theophilus, his good buddy. And he says, he writes these things so that you would know for certain of the things you've been taught and the things that have happened. That's why the angel said these things. And that's why Luke recorded them. So that we, the reader, would know for certain Jesus. So that we wouldn't believe in Jesus as our saviour. So that we would worship him as the great God. So that we would serve him as the everlasting king. That's why he wrote these things and Luke included them in the gospel. So friends, here's, here's the question we've got to ask. He wrote them for that reason. Do you believe in the angel's promises? Do you believe in them? Jesus, your saviour. Great God, the everlasting King. Do you believe them? Well, Mary did. Mary did believe them. Although, at first, uh, she had a more practical question to ask and no doubt something that contributed to her surprise. Look at verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. Now, Mary... Mary obviously knew that the child would be conceived before she got married. This creates some difficulties. And everyone knew she was engaged to Joseph. In those days, uh, betrothal, as it was called, was formalised in a a public ceremony and it generally lasted about a year. And sometimes the bride would be referred to as um, the man's wife in that time, sometimes. 
But they didn't live together and they didn't have any sexual relations during that time. To, to violate that would be uh, breaking the promise and it would be akin to uh, adultery, to very serious. Now, Mary, was a, as a godly woman, was uh, saving herself for marriage. But this raised the obvious question. How could she conceive and bear a son if she'd never been with a man? But Mary did not ask this question in unbelief. She, she's quite different to Zechariah. See, Zechariah's question is, uh, this is 1 verse 18, how can I be sure of this? So when the angel promised him a son, John the Baptist, how can I be sure? Zechariah wanted some confirmation. He wanted evidence. He wanted a sign. But Mary, look at the question that Mary asks, how will this be? How will it happen? She believes it will happen. She believes that. Uh, but she's not sure how. It turns out she was listening in her bio reproductive lessons in biology. Um, <laughs> she doesn't know how it's going to happen. So let, let's, let's uh, see a good question deserves a good answer, doesn't it? And that's what she gets, um, complete with some um, medical detail that Luke, the physician, wants, us, wants to include. Let's look at verse 35. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is how it's going to happen. And the Holy One to be born will be called son, the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Luke includes some details here, which are interesting, aren't they? He talks about, this is the historian side of Luke. He mentions people and relationships and time. And back in verse 26, we didn't read, but at the start of that sort of section, he includes uh, a whole bunch of details, places and people and, and again, time. See, this is not some, not some fairy tale for Luke. I don't know. He wants, he wants the reader to know, he wants us to know that this is history. This actually happened. Here's the facts. And what the facts declare is, is one of the greatest miracles ever recorded. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. M many today ask the same question that Mary did. Maybe you've asked that question. Uh, I certainly have. How can this be? <laughs> How can this be? How can anyone have a baby in those times without actually having sexual relations? How's that possible? Well, the answer, the answer that Gabriel gives is simple. If you believe, like Mary, if you believe in the power of God, Jesus would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's what Christians have been declaring for, for many, many years, confessing in our creeds. For example, the Apostles' Creed. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary. Well, this whole process was unexpected and a, and a surprise to Mary, no doubt. But what was no surprise to her was that God could do it and he would do it. And so look at Mary's response in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. There's something else that Mary, that, about the choice of Mary, though, that we, we ought to have a look at. And that surprised not just her, but may well surprise us as well. Here's how one author described Mary. It's not very flattering. Uh, she was a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. That's Mary. That's how we can describe Mary. Pretty rough. 
Um, I'm not going to make any comparisons with any town around here. That would be very naughty, although the thought crossed my mind about... No one won't say it. Um, <laughs> see, Mary, Mary was among the lowly. As the phrase goes, she was insignificant. She was probably quite young, between 12 and 13, 14 years of age. She was poor from a small country town. Uh, John's Gospel quotes, you know, what good can ever come of Nazareth? Far from the centre of power. She was a female in a culture that discounted women. Yet Mary was given the greatest honour that any woman could ever be given. She would be the mother of Jesus and her lowly estate was part of God's plan. By choosing Mary, God was beginning to show what humiliation his son would have to endure for the salvation of sinners. Here's, uh, here's what Martin Luther wrote uh, about Mary. He wrote that God could have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas's daughter, the high priest's daughter, who was fair, rich, clad in gold-embroidered raiment and attended by a, a retinue of maids in waiting. But God preferred, preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. God preferred this because the plan, the plan of salvation required Jesus to humble himself in this life as well as in his death and only then to be exalted. So, believing in the promises of God with her friend Elizabeth, John's mother-to-be by her side, she said these words that we read in verses 46 through to 55. Uh, perhaps she even sung them. <coughs> We're not quite sure how the tune would have gone. I don't know. Uh, many, of course, have sung these words over um, uh, many years. There, I think there are two parts of this song. Verses 46 to 50 is the first, where God lifts the humble, and the second is God humbles the proud, and you can see that on the outline there. God turns upside down the world's conventions and expectations. It's not the rich and powerful and the arrogant who will be first. It's not. No, who will be right with God even. It's not the privileged and the beautiful people who be lifted up when it matters, whom God will save. No, God turns what we hold important and valuable on its head. However, I'm not convinced that this was a surprise to the young, faithful Mary. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord. Now, th these, um, these words have been written, as I said, with music. Uh, over, in many different forms and styles, you can look them all up, uh, with the title, The Magnificat. There's a Magnificat. I just couldn't resist that. I thought it was funny. There's my cat, the Magnificat. It's a great photo, isn't it? Anyway, that's my cat. Um, moving on. <laughs> I just couldn't resist. I thought it was good for a break for us. Um, that, that, that's what the song is. Uh, the, the, it's been made up into a song, I should say. It actually comes from the Latin translation of the word glorifies that we see in verse uh, 46. So in other words, this is a song of praise, much like Hannah's song uh, in 1 Samuel 2 that was read so well to us earlier. And I want you to notice too, this is a bit of a tangent and good for our young people to hear and good for all of us to hear, mums and dads as well, grandparents too. Do you notice how well Mary knows her Bible? She knows her Bible really well. It's good to be a young person and know your Bible really well. <laughs> it really is. Uh, it's a good thing. Anyway, it's a song of praise. And the purpose of praise is that God would be magnified, hence the term magnificent. We're making God known. We're magnifying him. 
That's what a song of praise does. You see, Mary's praise helps us, know, helps us to know God better. So what do we learn about God in this song? Well, we learn how God works. That's how, what we learn. He, he, he works through his son. Let's pick it up from verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. We'll leave it there for a minute. See, you notice that Mary doesn't mention Jesus. Rather than focusing on the gifts that God has given, she instead focuses on the giver. That's not a bad lesson for us, is it? We focus too much on God gifts, God gifts, God's gifts, but rather on the God who gives them. God works as we come to him in humility and trust. It's a theme throughout Luke. As we come to him as nobodies, not somebodies, takes the humble like Mary and he lifts them up and he calls them blessed. God has done great things for Mary. In his mercy he has saved her. She's a sinner in need of a saviour. She admits that in verse 47 by calling God her saviour. She needs a saviour because she's a sinner. And that's why generations will call her blessed, because she's saved by God. Now, the same God who lifts the humble also humbles the proud. We see this in the second, second half of this, uh, this song. Uh, let me tell you a funny story just for a moment, if you don't mind, and choose to laugh if you like to. Um, <laughs> so walking in the sanctuary of, the, of his church, the empty sanctuary of his church, a priest was suddenly possessed by a wave of mystical rapture and he threw himself on the ground and said, Lord, I'm nothing. Seeing the priest in such a state, the deacon, also profoundly moved by similar emotions, he threw himself down in front of the cross, proclaiming, Lord, I'm nothing. And then way in the back of the church, the janitor threw himself on the ground and he too shouted, Lord, I'm nothing. Whereupon the priest turned to the deacon and whispered, Look who thinks he's nothing. <laughs> Look who thinks he's nothing. What the second half of this, this song reminds us is that the priest and the deacon, or well, they're a little like the Pharisee. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee in Luke 18, who was full of pride and he looked down on everybody else. Well, Jesus said he will not go home justified before God. It was the humble tax collector who did, who couldn't even look, at, look his eyes up to heaven, bring his eyes up to heaven. See, these next few verses in Mary's song here speak of God in his son, humbling the proud, bringing justice, filling the lowly with good things, and the rich, the arrogant being sent away empty. So, verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. You know what's interesting here is that Mary is still talking about the coming birth of a child. Even though she speaks in completed activities, it seems like the past tense, she's actually so confident, that confident, of what Jesus is doing and will do. She's so confident of, of, in God's promises. 
It is a great reversal taking place in the coming of Jesus. This is what God has done to all people in the Lord Jesus. And Mary praises God as she knows that the ultimate solution to the world's ills has come with the coming of this child. Now here's what will surprise many. And it ought not, ought not, it ought not surprise us. The future does not lie. The future of this world does not lie in the hands of the powerful and the wealthy, the rulers and their thrones. It does not lie with them. But it lies in Jesus' hands, God's King who will reign forever. That's what the coming of Jesus into this world is about. Let me tie a few things together. I, I, the, the greatest surprise of Christmas? Well, of course, it's the coming of Jesus into this world. That's the greatest surprise of Christmas. It's the coming of Jesus, God's Son, the Saviour, into this world. You know, one of the things that bugged me about Christmas, and don't worry, I'm not going to have a whinge, just a little one. I'm usually, I quite like, like Christmas, I really do. Um, but what bugs me about Christmas, a little frustrating, I suppose, is that this time of the year, yes, for lots of good reasons, we talk a lot about the coming of Jesus into this world. And we ought to, good thing to do. But we should also talk about that at other times of the year, shouldn't we? And that's my fault because I put the preaching program together. Um, but you know what I mean, don't you? We talk a lot about the coming of Jesus this time of year. But the problem with that is that it throws Jesus into the pot of, well, the other stories that come up at Christmas. Jesus is just like the guy in the red suit. Jesus is just like other fairy tales thrown around. That's, that's not right, is it? See, that's, that's Luke's focus here. Let's not miss it. Luke's focus and throughout his gospel is for us to know with certainty, to not be surprised about Jesus. He writes so that we would know for certain about Jesus, what really happened, that he's not a fairy tale, that he did come. Why did he come, he writes. The facts about God's saviour who has come into the world. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll see if there's any um, questions or comments or you can always leave one in the uh, uh, using the comment card system. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you sent Jesus into this world. Lord, we thank you that he is our saviour, that he is great, he's son, the, the son, of, son of God most high. Lord, we ask that we would be like Mary, that you would give us that faithfulness to trust in your promises and that, Lord, we would we'd praise you and thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son to this world. And we, uh, we pray that we would remember that this Christmas time and not get caught up with any other stuff that goes on. So, Lord, thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.